Welcome to the Property 3.0 podcast, where we are investigating blockchain and its potential impact on the property industry. So, Alex, who are we and why are we doing this? <laughs> Hi, Hattie. Well, Hattie, you are an experienced property expert, uh, professional, who's gone from a conventional space and conventional route and uh, turned on its head and joined a startup um, and taking that from inception now through to real business super exciting and alex you um, are also a surveyor by background and work for uh the oldest landlord in the country could we say that the largest one of the most significant anyway very big very um important land holder and I think, you know, we have to say we're not blockchain or crypto experts. We no. are property experts, but we're both very interested in tech. Yeah, I think we, um, I think we both recognise that change is upon us. It's ever upon us, really, but there's some really exciting topics. There's a lot of hype. I think cutting through hype is something that we really want to achieve here and actually just work out, is there anything applicable to real estate here or is it actually something that might just happen alongside us yeah exactly and and if if it is like we need to start thinking you know you have a you manage a significant portfolio um i'm building a new business like we have to make sure that we make our everyday worlds um adaptable to the blockchain and crypto worlds if if we think that that that's going to have a significant impact in the future so we're recording this really for anyone with an interest in learning the real 101 about blockchain and its effect on the or potential effect on the real estate industry. Um, I think it's worth saying that if you have more than a basic knowledge um, as it exists, it will pro- this will probably be too basic mm-hmm. for you. We're definitely learning on the fly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we, we started doing this because we found a lack of basic resources, right? Yeah, I think a lot of information that we found was um, definitely aimed at a sell, i.e. existing investors in, in cryptocurrencies, crypto coin, pushing um, how-to, um, but really they're a how-to-invest um, resource, which we're not doing. And you know, declaration, neither of us have yet to invest you know, what little wealth we have into cryptocurrency, but I think that's probably a healthy place to start from. Yeah, I think so. Well, I hope so. <laughs> I don't think we've missed the boat just yet. No, I had a really good comparison. There's a, there was a good Tim Ferriss podcast that I'd recommend um, on Web 3.0 a few a few weeks ago, and they made a good comparison, which was that where we are in Web 3.0 right now is um, like where Web 2.0 was in the Flickr days, so <laughs> early internet. And if you thought at that point that that was as far as it would get, you would have missed. Instagram and Netflix yeah, and okay. you know all of these things so we are we are early doors and we're not missing things and actually you know you don't necessarily want to put all your eggs in your basket in one basket today because it's the most glamorous or exciting currency or whatever yeah for sure I think the the by sheer virtue of the fact we're still trying to explore what the real world applications are means that we're not quite at some sort of we're not looking backwards yet we're still looking forwards the most established activity at the moment is essentially day trading of, of <laughs> cryptocurrency. So I don't think we've missed that boat at all. No, definitely. So what are we going to be talking about? Um, 
We will start with some very basic explanations on blockchain crypto mining. Um, I found it hard to get my head around these uh, around the practical applications without understanding these basics. Um, yeah, I think an, an, a lexicon explanation yes, uh, is in the very eloquently put. <laughs> <laughs> I think I definitely found that the language, you know, mining, um, cryptocurrency, crypto coin, all these things have obviously historic meanings here, and clearly they're probably those words are probably used to simplify and almost. Um, uh, de-escalate or make certain activities sound more accessible but in truth you know, mining is a complex thing mm. um, and that's something I from this exercise I hope to understand a lot better yeah definitely a lot of the explanations um, so for example for blockchain people often say oh it's a distributed ledger where if an update is made for one person it changes for everyone and at first it's like oh, okay cool and then when you think about it it's like what how do i access this ledger can i can i get it who can change things what what if a transaction you know what if i get charged one pound fifty instead of 15 pounds can i go back and change that who can do that you know it's it's all of these it's sort of simple explanations on the face of it and then a thousand questions come come from it yeah it seems like it requires a lot of faith because um, mm. it's not easy to articulate and explain the nuts and bolts. And it's probably inherently complex, but mm -hmm. um, I think unless you can explain something simply, it's hard to gain trust. And I think that's where you know, cryptocurrencies, the word currency sounds familiar, but ultimately we trust pound sterling, we trust dollar in a way that is more than simply um, a technology is something that we inherently have faith in and we believe in mm. um, frightening way to think of money mm. but, uh, mm -hmm. until until something can have that level of trust and faith and ultimately work on a um, global economic scale how does it go from something which is ultimately just a, a, a storage of wealth that people bet on um, and something that's applicable in day to day yeah for everyone not just you know in the know investors and I think, I mean, so one of the things we're going to discuss is the practical applications within real estate. And that that's really very, very relevant because a lot of people have been saying like for, for many years, we're talking like close to 10 years about land registries moving onto the blockchain, which, as you say, like involves a huge amount of trust. Um, and, you know, in theory, you could simplify the process of buying and selling homes. Um, but there is still the need for an overarching body for when things go wrong. And it's something that even Vitalik Buterin, please excuse me if I put that name wrong, the founder of Ethereum, um, he actually says himself that you can't use blockchain totally for land registry because you need that um, the ability for, for a legal entity to, to intervene. And so you kind of think, if he's saying you can't use it fully um, and that we won't, be, you know, the trust won't be there for, for land registries, then that starts to make me really question um, the, the other potential uses within, within our industry. I think it's quite healthy, though, because you know, real estate property, uh, I mean, even with the word real estate sound is, is like a formalization of what it is, but it's bricks and mortar, things you can look at, touch, live in, or work in. Um, it's it's tangible mm. um, and 
everything about blockchain and cryptocurrency is intangible. <laughs> so you know, even in, in, you know, if I'm a, I am a very lay person, um, to bring something totally intangible and tangible together in a meaningful, practical way um, is difficult. Mm. Um, and, and I think there's an inherent resistance to that because I think a lot of, a lot of us work in real estate or in just generally the world uh, looks at real estate as more than just a financial instrument, mm. uh, an investment, or ultimately something that gives people trust. People rely on the fact that if all goes wrong, at least I've got a roof over my head. That kind mm. of mentality is underpins a lot of what real estate is. Yeah, and not not to mention like the beauty of architecture. People mm. travel around the world to go and look at buildings, or I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose that there, there are some interesting physical implications. So, for example, um, you might have heard of some of the cases in the news where police go and raid an industrial estate that has all the classic signs of a cannabis farm. You know, there's they put drones over it and there's heat radiating from it all, all hours of the day. There are people coming and going every um, all the time. You seem very familiar with this <laughs> business model. There's uh, many, many uh, articles on the Internet, I promise. Yeah. No actual experience. Um, but yeah, and then the police go and raid it and they find that actually it's a crypto mine in an industrial estate. So is this something we're also going to have to be thinking about in our real estate portfolios yeah, I think, I think the, the professionalisation of mining hasn't probably arrived in the UK particularly, but we know it's really big in China and North America, mm. uh, where people have gone really long on cryptocurrency. Um, and surely we'll start to see, well, maybe we'll start to see in the UK, that use, that demand arriving in logistics centres and uh, kind of industrial mm. uh, portfolios. Fascinating. And then there's the obvious sustainability question again as i say so much energy mm. and we're trying to improve the sustainability of our portfolios and businesses interesting i did read an article about um the sustainability aspect of crypto mining and i think i read it in spectator oh yeah and it's sort of a it was basically poo-pooing um the sustainability question so if you actually compare metrics of crypto mining at this point in time to a lot of other activities in the world, um, the, relative, uh, the relative impact may not be quite as um, agonizing. So I'll dig that out. Yeah. Uh, something's really interesting because I instinctively thought high energy use must be bad. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's uh, typically things aren't just a, a, a net loss. Mm. whatever its activity is, there may well be a reduction in something else. Mm -hmm. And the, the argument that many people use for um, particularly, you know, cryptocurrencies is that you no longer are reliant on a central government. So if you have a dodgy central government, um, yeah. you know, actually puts more power in the hands of the people. So if you're thinking from a holistic ESG perspective rather than just the E, um, as in just the environment, but you're also thinking about the social impact, then potentially there is more um, better ways to distribute wealth to more people. Um, so why have we called this podcast the Property 3.0 podcast? This really came about because lots of people 
in the know refer to blockchain and the ecosystem around it as web 3.0. So just to give you some context, this is because the first web was basically just an intergovernmental database. That was web 1.0. So you can imagine, like, do you remember getting library books out as a kid? I actually do, yeah. We're showing our age gap now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you'd have one of those computers with like a, like a black screen with the green writing on yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and that's a very simple database. And that was kind of the first version of the web. Obviously, now, as we know it, it's a completely interactive and social tool that is Web 2.0. So kind of the key things that have evolved over the last couple of decades are social networks, mobile web and also cloud computing. So if you think, you know, basically anyone in the world now can build a revenue generating business from a smartphone and think how different that is from the library database of 30 years ago. And therefore, when you think about Web 3.0, you can understand how immeasurably different it is from the current web where we are today. Yeah, I think it's one of these things that you can look back on, uh, you know, a respect, retrospective look, and you think, oh, God, it's so obvious, mm. um, those leaps. Um, and the, the simplicity of uh, our first wave of, internet uh, and the web and how it was basically more of a, a convenience tool rather than um, an absolute revolution it was you know what's quicker than using the post email mm -hmm. um, what's quicker than sort of sending out brochures to people oh we'll put it on LinkedIn we'll broadcast <laughs> on the social media platform there's always a it was always a um, electronic version of something we did in real, mm. real world um, I think what's probably the most difficult, certainly for me to get my head around now, is what what Web 3.0 is doing is more than just convenience. Um, it's, it's not about speeding things up and, and doing things uh, in a simplistic click of a button way. It's a fundamental restructure of um, infrastructure. Mm. And that's something that, you know, my grasp of infrastructure is probably not very strong. Um, and so trying to then upend that with something entirely new is sort of taking me out of my comfort zone and pushing me into a place where I'm just lost. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> me too. But hopefully we'll, we shall find some clarity. So just pick, yeah, picking up on your point there, Alex, about um, the infrastructure that we can't yet understand, um, it's an interesting contextual point is, um, you know, as we record this in November 2021, we just had the WhatsApp Facebook and Instagram global blackout for six hours. I don't know if you've, yeah. but it was only a month ago, but it seems to have faded from everyone's memory and everyone is kind of back on these things. But it puts into very sharp focus how reliant we all are on these big uh, global entities, which despite, despite their vast size and economic clout can still have a single point of failure. And, you know, we come to the moral argument, all these companies and things like Google are built on the wealth of our own personal data. And I don't think any of us really understand the extent to which our data is being harnessed by others to make money, frankly. And the idea for, or the, the ideal, I should say, for Web 3.0 is that we will have much more control over our own data. We'll be able to track, like, 
where our information is going and you know you can kind of imagine a dream world where every time google shared your data with someone you got a little kickback for it yeah i think i can see that this is my the skeptic in me and the, mm. the recurring themes would be the skeptic in me um, <laughs> good it's important uh, I, I, I do love an idiom or a metaphor and they normally mix them and get them wrong which is awful but how do you put the toothpaste back on the tube how do we go from yeah. what we've got today to a utopian new future I mean, does that require some sort of almost you know, a meltdown a, a permanent shutdown blackout of facebook of google mm. um, and a new web to begin because i think there's one thing for um just to go step incrementally forward but it, it feels like what we're talking about with blockchain, AI, et cetera, is a, a revolutionary new form. Mm. Um, and to, to kind of, for it to work in this utopian new way and in this ideal, you kind of need a, a cut off almost an amnesty of everything that's been going wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that's achieved. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think as well, another just human point, again, that I can't see the solution to is I like using um, Google because it's a very simple interface and I can understand it and it does everything I need. And I think that's going to be like the ideal, as I say, is like everyone having their data in their own hands. But like, I also don't want to deal with my own data. <laughs> so it's it's kind of that, that line as well is like how much... Um, attention time do individual human beings have to, yeah. to to keep everything in their own hands i think that lies you know one of the it's a moral dilemma it's a moral uh, discussion you know have we been tricked into giving our data to these businesses or have we willingly mm. given it up and how many of us really care that yeah. our data yeah. is out there um, are we wrong? Should we care more? Yeah, and it, there's, a, there's a principle um, argument uh, against it, but then in practice and reality, the masses, if you like, want convenience. Mm. Um, and are happy to give up a level of control um, to get that. So, will blockchain, will Web 3.0 really um, galvanize? kind of a nascent desire to take back control of things um, or will it always remain niche mm. um, yeah and and i think the, the the flip side of the moral arguments um against web 2.0 is that um you know with web 3.0 transactions are trustless so you know you can't um everyone is anonymous which is a very good thing in, in many ways but it's been really harnessed by a lot of criminals frankly and you know there's so many stories in the news of hospitals schools charities having their data held hostage um and requiring payments to be made in cryptocurrency because that, those payments cannot be tracked and so actually would you rather have you know would you rather have that one body who you have to put your trust in and you maybe only trust them like 80 percent, but at least you kind of know who they are or do you want a completely trustless society um but that also means that bad actors have have a bit more um 
leverage. So, yeah, you can see from these two kind of flip sides of the coins, it's, it's such an emotive and complex topic and people are kind of arguing for the same thing, which is freedom and security <laughs> for individuals. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a deep, deep topic. Yeah. And next time we will start by talking about blockchain. I think that's kind of the, the key thing to understand Work when through the terminology yeah exactly and as far as we can understand like what it is beyond a ledger um and a gambling tool a gambling tool yeah <laughs> um a way to make money five years ago um mining and then of course start to look at some of the implications uh for real estate looking forward to it Likewise, see you then.